Good morning, Freedom. My name's Eric. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the pastor here, and we are grateful that you're here on this Friendsgiving. It's going to be an amazing day. Before we uh, get into today's message, I do have, I do want to just take a minute to thank you guys. As you know, we, uh, throughout the beginning of the fall, we um, collected uh, supplies, clothing, uh, toiletries, and things like that for the homeless in our area. And uh, we have partnered with an organization called uh, Compass for Hope, and uh, we've delivered those items to them, and they were going to be distributed. They distribute uh, those type of items. They feed the homeless as well as provide showers and, and clothing and toiletries and all the things that we've collected. They do that every Sunday, um, and so we have delivered that to them. If you ever want to volunteer, uh, you can head to their website. I think it's compassforhope.org. And, um, and partner with them. It's, it's one of the organizations that we work with. Uh, it would require you to miss a Sunday, uh, but you'd be serving our community, and we always encourage you to do that. So again, thank you so much for all of the, the things you brought in over the last several uh, months, and I uh, just wanted to give you guys, a, guys an update on that. So we appreciate you guys being a part of that Compass for Hope uh, outreach and really reaching out to those in our community. Uh, that are that are homeless right now. So, uh, with that said, we're going to be in uh, in Galatians chapter five. For those of you who are new with us, we teach through books of the Bible, and right now we are in the book of Galatians. And I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about it. And so uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse thirteen. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the spirit, you were not under the law. See, Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia, Because they were being enslaved by legalism. So he writes this letter to the churches, to these Christians, to these Galatians. And he's encouraging them. He's challenging them like, guys, to live in your freedom that is found in Christ. They're being enslaved by legalism. And he's saying, no, 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 wait. You are free in Christ. Don't be enslaved by legalism. Rather, be free And live in that freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, according to the gospel, we are set free by Christ. And the reality is that most of us probably know what we're free from. That we are free from the penalty of sin. And we are free from the power of sin. In other words, the moment that we receive Christ as our personal Savior, as our Lord and we surrender to him, the moment we do that, we are set free from the penalty of sin. We are no longer condemned. But we're also set free from the power of sin. That sin no longer has dominion over us. 
But here's the question. What are we set free for? We know what we're set free from, but what are we set free for? You see, the freedom that we have in Christ is freedom with a purpose. Our freedom in Christ reconciles us to God. We are no longer no longer God's enemies as a result of our freedom. We are freed in the sense that we are reconciled to God. But we're also freed in the sense that we are empowered to love and serve others. See, our freedom in Christ, yes, it frees us from our former life of sin. But here's the good news. It also frees us for a new life of righteousness. You see, our freedom in Christ means that you and I are now free to follow God's will. We are free to be transformed into the image of God's Son, and we are free to live in authentic community with one another, with God's people. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. But unfortunately, there's some enemies to that freedom. Just like all freedom, there's always enemies to freedom. And the enemies to freedom that we have, if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we will get trapped by these enemies. We will get enslaved by them. The freedom that we have in Christ will will dissipate and we will become slaves to either legalism or license. Those are the two enemies of freedom that Paul talks about in this letter to the churches in Galatia. He says the two enemies of freedom are legalism and license. What does that mean? What does it mean to be enslaved by those things? Well, we've been talking about legalism a lot. Because the entire book up until this point, Paul has been diving into what is legalism. And the fact that legalism enslaves us. But now, he gives us a brief glimpse into license. So what, how, do, how do we differentiate between the two? Here's what legalism tells us. Legalism says that you are bound by a set of rules, religious regulations. In in other words, legalism tells us in order to be accepted by God, in order to earn God's favor, what we have to do is follow a list of rules and and regulations. Legalism is saying, "Here's here's the do's and don'ts. And as long as you do the do's and don't do the don'ts, you'll be okay. That's what legalism means. But what is license? License is when we say, I can do whatever I want to do. Why? Because Jesus has already forgiven me. Because Jesus has already forgiven my sins. I can just live any way that I want to, Monday through Saturday, as long as I show up at church, and as long as I I feel sorry for my sin, as long as I feel bad about it, then God's forgiven me. I'm good. That's what license is. So you have legalism and you have license. Let me me explain it this way. Legalism demands responsibility without freedom. It demands that you follow all these lists of rules and, and regulations to a T, and there's no freedom. Where license demands freedom without responsibility. 
That's the difference between the two. And so what Paul is going to show us that there's good news in this text, because in this text, he tells us that you and I are called to freedom. Look what he says in verse 13, in the very first part of, of verse 13. He says, for you, he's talking to the Galatians, he's talking to us as followers of Christ, you were called to freedom. What does that mean? It means that you and I experience freedom not because of our own effort, not because of our own merit, not because of anything that we have done, but simply by the gracious calling of God. God calls us to this freedom. This freedom that we have through his grace is a gift. You and I can't go and, and, and earn it. We can't go and seek it out. No, it is a calling that God calls us to this freedom. He calls us to this freedom when he calls us to himself. This call to freedom is what it means to be a Christian. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to this freedom. And the moment that we become a follower of Jesus, we enter into that freedom. And Paul reminds the church in Galatia that, that even though we are called to that freedom, we can lose that freedom if we give in to license or if we give in to legalism. And here's what he says. If the, the rest of verse 13, or the next part of ver, verse 13. So you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What is he talking about there? See, what Paul is talking about, when he talks about the flesh, he's not talking about our skin. He's not talking about this. He's, not, he's talking about the part of us that is our sinful nature. He's talking about the part of us that rebels against God. He's talking about all of our weakness, all of our depravity, the part of us that tells God, I don't want anything to do with you. And the reality is that every single one of us have that part in us. Every single one of us are far from God. Every single one of us are separated from God. And every single one of us still live with that human nature. We still live in that, that, that part, that we still have that part of us, that unspiritual part of us that rebels against God. That part of us that is inclined to sin. That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about the flesh. He's talking about our fallen human nature. And Paul tells us in this text that he warns us not to give our flesh, not to give that part of us that is prone to sin an opportunity to abuse our freedom in Christ. In other words, God's grace should never be an excuse for sin. God's grace, the fact that God has forgiven you, the fact that God has reconciled you to himself should never be an excuse for sin. Because the truth is, if we allow that freedom to cause us to sin, we're not really free at all. In fact, Jesus said, those who commit sin are slaves to sin. So when we as followers of Christ, when we sin either through legalism or through license, what happens? It enslaves us. It's the opposite of liberty. But here's the challenge. I don't know if you guys have recognized this, recognized this in your own life. 
But there's a battle going on between our flesh and the Spirit of God. Anybody recognize that battle? Am I the only one that has that? No, a few of you have. Okay, the rest of you are liars. No, I'm just kidding. But we all struggle with that, right? We all have this battle going on within us where we want to do the right thing and we end up doing the wrong thing. Where our flesh tells us one thing and the Spirit of God tells us another thing. And there's this battle constantly going on. And that's the challenge. But the, and, and we look at Scripture and we say, well, our flesh has been crucified with Christ. Remember Galatians 2, Paul already tells us. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Later on in, in, in Galatians 5, in verse 24, he's going to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In Romans 6, Paul tells us, we know that our old self, our old nature, was crucified with Christ. So why do we still have this battle? Why do we still have this struggle? Because the reality is, even though the truth of the matter is, you and I have been crucified with Christ, our flesh has been crucified with Christ, it's not entirely gone. We still live in fallen, sinful bodies. We still live in a fallen, sinful world. And that battle is going to continue until Christ comes to, comes to, to take us home. So what does this mean? As a result of this, our flesh is constantly looking to invade our lives. When you and I have Christ in our lives, when we are following Jesus, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and our flesh is constantly battling God's Spirit and waging war within us and waging war through us to wreak havoc on our relationship with God and our relationships with others. Paul explains it in verse 17. Listen to what he says. If I can turn there, you can listen to what he says. Here's what he says. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. He's talking about this battle. The desires of our flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do so our flesh our sinful nature is ruthless and if you don't know that just let just take my word for it. it is ruthless and it is its desire is to wreak havoc on our lives and our flesh is constantly trying to gain back the control that it has lost when you and i place our trust and our faith in jesus christ and that battle is raging in every single Christian's heart. Every single one of us have that, that, that war raging in our hearts. The flesh against the spirit. Our sinful nature against the new nature that we have in Christ. And the result is we don't always do what we want to do. Anybody relate to that? We don't always do what we want to do. In fact, oftentimes we do the exact opposite. I know some of you are going, well, man, why even follow Jesus to begin with? If we're just going to do the exact opposite. Let me, let me, let me see if you can identify with, with the, these words. These are from the Apostle Paul. He said, now this is the Apostle Paul, the same 
man who wrote the book of Galatians that we've been studying. This is what Paul said. I do not understand my own actions. You ever been there? I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. And then he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. Have you ever been there? I have the, God, I want to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to do it. This is the Apostle Paul talking. Then he says this, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The way I look at it, if Paul struggled like this, I have no hope. And oftentimes my spiritual life feels that way, right? It feels like I take two steps forward and then three steps back. I feel like I make ground spiritually and then I fall back into sin. And this constant battle is going on. And Paul is talking about this in Galatians 5 verse 17. This this battle where where I I let down my defenses and and I allow sin to creep in. So what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to give up? How do we win this battle? How do we overcome our flesh? How do we give in to the spirit? How do we live in this freedom that we have in Christ? Well, Paul provides three paths to victory. Three paths for you and I to win this battle between the flesh and the spirit. First thing he says is don't provide opportunities for the flesh. Second thing he tells us is through love serve others. And the third thing he's going to show us is walk in the spirit. So let's talk about each one of those individually. Let's talk about the first one. Don't provide opportunities for the flesh. Look, Go back to verse 13 and listen to what he says. For you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What is he talking about? Before we get into that, what I want you to understand is this battle has already been won. The victory has already been won by Christ. When he died on the cross for our sins, when he took your place on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin, Jesus Christ has already won the battle. The victory is already won. But the battle rages on within our hearts. And it's true, this spiritual life is going to be a struggle. Following Jesus is going to be hard. Don't let anybody tell you it's not. Following Jesus is going to be difficult. It is going to be a struggle. It is going to be a battle between our flesh and the Holy Spirit living in us. But the victory is already won. Unfortunately, oftentimes in our lives... We make it a whole lot easier for our flesh to take control. We allow our flesh to seize the opportunities that we give it. We allow our flesh to overcome the spirit within us. So how do we do that? How do we provide opportunities for the flesh? How do we give our sinful nature a base of operations in our lives? 
There's a lot of different ways. Here's some of the common ways that, that, that we do it. Unconfessed sin. If you and I live with unconfessed sin and we allow that to flourish, guess what? We're given opportunities for our flesh. That's why it is so important that we keep short accounts with God. That we don't allow our sin to just fester. When we sin, we repent. We turn back to God. We go to the person. If we sinned against someone else, we go to them and we reconcile with them. Why? Otherwise, we're going to give opportunities through our to, uh, opportunities for our flesh by harboring grudges, by having unforgiven spirit, by talking about people instead of talking to people. This is a huge issue in our culture. Nobody wants to talk to anybody anymore. Nobody wants to sit a, sit across a table from someone and reconcile with someone. What would they rather do? They'd rather talk about them. To other people. What is that? That's gossip. And that wreaks havoc on relationships. And it gives opportunities for our flesh to take ground. If we allow negativity to reside in our lives, guess what? We are given opportunities for our flesh. If we allow our minds and our hearts to go unchecked. We allow opportunities for our flesh. We've talked about this over and over and over again. But do not trust your heart. When we trust our heart rather than trust in Christ and God's word, guess what? We give opportunities for our flesh. Why? Because our hearts are wicked. Your heart in my heart is depraved. And it will always lead us further away from God. Do not trust your heart. But if we just allow our minds just to go wondering, if we just allow our minds just to think about whatever pops in them, guess what? We're, it's, we're going to give opportunities for the flesh. That's why Paul said that we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Because we've all been there, right? We've all had that innocent thought pop in our mind, but then we allow it to go on and on and on. And what does it lead to? It leads to lust. It leads to sin. It leads to all kind of wickedness. Why? Because we've allowed a little bit of opportunity for the flesh, and that has taken us down a path that is dark and depraved. That's how we give opportunities to the flesh. We also do it by, by thinking small sins are no big deal. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big sin. I didn't kill anybody. I just cheated on my taxes a little bit. Or I just was a little dishonest in this sale at work. Or, or, or you know, and we make these small things seem like little, like no big deal. But the problem is those small things turn into big things and cause us to drift further and further away from God. They squelch his spirit within us. And our flesh takes that opportunity. It takes that opportunity to wreak havoc in our lives. And ultimately what happens is this. As Christians, we tend to fight this battle in one of two ways. And this is what Paul's been talking about throughout this letter. We either try to fight it through legalism 
Or we try to, in other words, we say, you know what? I'm going to overcome my flesh through rules. I'm just going to I'm just going to add more do's and don'ts. I'm just going to create more rules for me to follow in order to overcome the flesh. The problem is there's not enough rules for us to overcome our flesh. We can't come up with enough rules. We can try, but we can't. We can't come up with enough rules to overcome our flesh. But that's one of the things we do. We use legalism. We say, you know what? The way I'm going to win this battle, the way I'm going to overcome my flesh, my sinful nature is just to rule it to death. By creating rules, by creating regulations in order for me to, to, to not give in to the flesh. And what ends up happening is we end up becoming miserable Christians because we can't keep the rules. That's the whole problem to begin with. Or we lean into license and we say, you know what, I just give up. I can't win the battle anyway, so I might as well just give in to the sin that, that's 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 in my life, I might as well just give in to it and ask God to forgive me. And what happens with that? We just constantly feel defeated as Christians. We constantly feel like, man, I'm never good enough. I'm never going to amount to anything spiritually. And we have this, this, this battle, you know, where we may hit those high moments, like we, you know, we're Maybe a message speaks to us or something like that. And we're like, we're doing good for a week or two. And then all of a sudden we just give in to sin again. Like, God, I can't anymore. And we just give up. So that's what we tend to do in this battle for our flesh. We either add rules or give in. But Paul's going to show us a better way. And we're going to see that in just a few minutes. Because the problem is when we, when we abuse our freedom in Christ, we lose our freedom. And Paul is going to show us in just a few minutes exactly how to do that. But look what the second thing he shows us. The second thing he says is, through love, serve others. Go back to verse 13 again. For you are called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the, for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law, in verse 14, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What do serving others do? When you and I serve others out of love, it frees us from our self-centeredness. It's very hard to be self-centered when you're serving somebody else. If you don't believe me, just try it with your, with your spouse. You wake up one morning and you have that self-centered thing. You know what? I'm not going to fix her coffee today. She should fix my, I fix her coffee every single morning. She should fix my coffee this morning. Is that just me? Sorry. That's right. She's keeping nursery. I can say whatever I want. Um. So, <laughs> but what happens though? What happens on, in all seriousness? If I say, you know what? I'm going to serve my wife today by fixing her coffee. That self-centeredness dissipates. Those of you with children, especially younger children, and we've all been there, right? When the baby starts crying and you're the first one awake, but you pretend that you're still asleep. 
Johnny, that never happens, right? Um, <laughs> but we have, a, we have a choice in those moments, don't we? We can give in to our self-centeredness or we can serve our spouse. And what happens is when we choose through love to serve one another, our self-centeredness just goes away. It dissipates. And it has the power to transform us and to make us more like Jesus. Because what did Jesus say? I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So when you and I, through love, serve others, guess what? We become more and more like Jesus. And love brings us to the fullness of God's purpose for our lives. What did Jesus himself say? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is what God has called us to. He's called us to love him first and to love others. So Paul says, listen, love through love, serve one another. And then he says this in verse 14. For the whole law. Remember, the problem with the Galatians is they were trying to follow the law in order to be made right with God. And Paul says, for the whole law, every bit of it, can be summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Wait a second, Eric. Paul left out the first and greatest commandment. The first and greatest commandment, Jesus said, was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. So why did Paul leave out the first and skip straight to the second? Well, here's the reality. What better way to prove and to show our love for God than by loving our neighbor as ourselves? That's why Paul is able to say that the whole law can be summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is reminding us that though the law cannot justify us before God, the law has a way of sanctifying us, of making us more like Jesus. We don't follow the law. We don't love others to, to be made right with God. We love others because we've been, we've been made right with God. Once God declares us righteous in Christ, the law, what is the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It has the ability to, to, to show us how to be holy. It teaches us how to follow Christ. When we serve others through love, when, when we do that, if, if, in fact, let me back up. If G Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus isn't anti-law. Paul isn't anti-law. That's why he just says the whole law can be summed up in this way. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what, is, what happens? When you and I serve through love, serve others, we keep his commandments, and we love our neighbors as ourselves, it is a reflection of our love for God. One of the ways that we can tell whether or not we're loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is how well we're loving our neighbor. In fact, John Stott, he, he, he put it this way. He says, although we cannot gain acceptance by keeping the law, 
Yet, once we have been accepted, we can keep the law out of love for God who has accepted us and has given us his spirit to enable us to keep it. And so Paul says, listen, if you want to have victory, if you want to win this battle, first of all, don't give the flesh opportunities. Secondly, through love, serve others. And then the third thing he says, walk in the Spirit. Look at verse 16. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now skip to verse 18. Verse 17 is the battle that's going on. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So here's, here's what I want to tell you. Even though I, I told you at the very beginning that Paul gives us, gives us three paths for victory, there's really only one. There's really only one, and that is walking in the Spirit. And that phrase to walk in the Spirit means to be led by the Spirit. It means to, to, to follow the Spirit. It means to be consumed by the Spirit. So Paul is saying to walk in the Spirit, and that really is the only path to victory. Because the only way you and I are not going to give opportunities for the flesh... And the only way that you and I are going to, through love, serve others is by walking in the Spirit. So really, there's only one path to victory in our Christian life, and that is by walking in the Spirit. And what, is the, what, is, what does this mean? You see, the issue with walking in the Spirit is control. Who controls your life? You or the Holy Spirit? Your flesh or the Spirit of God? The issue is control. The solution is surrender. The issue is control. Who controls you? The solution is that we surrender to the Holy Spirit. To walk by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, means to yield to, means to surrender to the Holy Spirit every day, everywhere, and every moment. That's what this means to walk in the Spirit. When you and I walk in the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit, it means that we are listening to the Spirit. We, are, we, we can hear the Spirit through God's Word. This is primarily the place the Spirit speaks to us. In God's Word. We, we are listening to His Word. We're discerning His will. And we're following His guidance. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And Paul's not talking about super Christians here. He's not talking about this is for pastors and elders. Now, what is he saying? He's saying walking by the Holy Spirit is the normal Christian life. If you want to know what it means to live the Christian life, that's it. Walk in the Spirit. It is a word for every single adult here, every single teenager, every single child that is a follower of Christ The only way we can do it, the only way we can win this battle is by walking in the Spirit. This is so important that we grasp this. So important that we understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. We're actually going to spend the next two weeks talking about this and talking about what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Because why? Because this is the culmination of all that Paul has been teaching us. He said, everything he's taught us in this book of Galatians comes down to walking in the Spirit. There's really only one path for us to walk as followers of Christ, and that path is to walk by the Spirit. We cannot overcome our flesh. We cannot love our neighbor as ourselves if we're not 
walking in the Spirit, if we're not surrendered to the Spirit. See, we talked at the very beginning that we are freed from the penalty and power of sin, but we're also freed for a life of righteousness. And the only way that you and I live that life of righteousness is by walking in the Spirit. The only way that we live a holy life is not by outward, not by the outward constraint of rules and regulations, but by the inward compulsion of God's Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit transforms us from the inside out. And He creates new desires within us. And He gives us new power to resist our flesh and to please our Father. And that only happens when we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice this phrase Paul says. Pretty remarkable what he says in verse 16. I want to look at that one more time. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and look what he says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Did you pick up on that? This is a promise from God's Word that if you and I walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. God is promising us here that if you and I will surrender ourselves to the Spirit, we will not gratify our sinful nature. It is very, very difficult, and Paul even would say impossible, to be surrendered to the Spirit and give in to our selfish desires. That's what he means. If you and I are truly surrendered to the Spirit, if we are walking in the Spirit, we're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted. But it does mean that we're, if we're surrendered to the Spirit, we're not going to give in to the flesh. It's very hard to pray for someone and hate them at the same time. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, listen, it's not just enough for us to say no to our flesh. We have to also say yes to the Spirit. It's not just enough to say no to our sin. We have to say yes to the Holy Spirit. But so oftentimes, that's the way we battle our sin, our sinful nature, isn't it? We say, well, I'm just not going to be angry anymore. Or I'm just not going to lust anymore. Or I'm just not going to, to, to hold this grudge anymore. And I don't know about you, but that never works. <coughs> just saying no to that doesn't work. What do we have to do? We have to say yes to the Spirit of God. We have to surrender to the Spirit of God in order to experience the power of God. And then the power of God enables us to overcome our sinful nature. Here's the reality. You can have all the theological knowledge in the world. You can listen to every single sermon you can find online. You can read books on spiritual growth. <coughs> you could come to church every single time the doors are open. But if you are not surrendered to the Holy Spirit, you are going to lose this battle in Galatians 7, 5, 17 every single time. Because the battle is not won by your head knowledge. It's not 
one in it's one through surrender and only through surrender spiritual growth living the christian life doesn't happen because of our ability remember what paul said in romans 7 i desire to do the right thing but i don't have the ability to do it folks listen if you're trying to live the christian life in your own ability you are going to fail Every single time. Because it's not one through our ability. It is one through surrender. And we don't like to talk about surrender. Because we like to be in control. I don't want to surrender control to anyone. And yet the Holy Spirit requires that we surrender control in order for him to fill us and empower us and to lead us and in order for us to walk in the Spirit. It is only through surrender that we experience victory in our Christian life. And I believe that is the reason that so many Christians live defeated lives. I believe this is the reason that so many Christians lack power in their spiritual lives. I believe this is, so, this is the reason that so many Christians live lives that look like everyone else in the world of a lack of surrender so over the next two weeks we're going to talk more about what it means to surrender to the holy spirit that may mean that our attendance goes down from you know roughly 100 folks to five next week that's okay the five of us that are here are going to surrender to the holy spirit and learn what it means to do that because it's so important to our christian life the whole point of this passage is that the life in the Spirit brings a whole new way of life. We are free in Christ. And in order to live in that freedom, we must surrender to the Holy Spirit. So Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to surrender. We know that our Christian life is a result of surrender. And it is only through surrender that we can actually live out the Christian life. And Father, I know that in my own life, that the, the times where I felt defeated, the times where I felt like I would take two steps forward spiritually and then ten steps backwards, was because I was trying to do it in my own ability. I was trying to do it in my own strength. I was trying to live the Christian life by myself. And Father, what we learn from this text is that the only way to live the Christian life is surrender. That we surrender to the Holy Spirit. We yield to the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, we are able to walk by the Spirit. And so, Father, I pray for each and every one of us that call ourselves Christ followers this morning that you would enable us to surrender because the truth is we can't even surrender on our own we need your grace in order to surrender because like paul we constantly have that battle where we know the right thing and we want to do the right thing we even desire it but we don't have the ability to do it because the ability to do it comes only through the power of your holy spirit Lord, we can't through love serve others we can't overcome our flesh by ourselves we need your holy spirit 
And in order to have your Holy Spirit lead us, we must surrender. And Father, I pray for those that have never placed their faith in you, that may be here this morning or listening online. Lord, I pray that today they would say, you know what? I, for the very first time, want to surrender to the Holy Spirit. I want to give my life to Christ because I know that he died on the cross for my sin. And he rose again for my victory. So, Father, I pray for each person that may need to receive Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. Father, strengthen us, empower us, and help us to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.